Today's episode of the Culinary Now podcast is brought to you by Forge to Table Knives. Forge to Table offers handmade Japanese-style knives at an affordable price. Forge to Table was started by Johnson & Wales alumnus Noah Rosen in the pursuit of the perfect knife for culinary students, home cooks, and chefs alike. Their flagship blade, the 8-inch Gyoto Chef's Knife, is a cult favorite among professional kitchens. Aside from the knives, they also have fantastic shoes. And I'm going to be honest, when I first got the shoes, I didn't think I was going to like them, but I love them. Every time I wear them, someone comments how fun, how cool they are. And normally, people don't comment on the way I look as being fun. So I take this as a huge, huge win. Um, thank you, Forge to Table, for making me more hip. Uh, Forge to Table knives and other apparel can be found at the Johnson & Wales bookstore or head on over to ForgeToTable.com and use the promo code CULINARYNOW for 10% off your final purchase. By the way, Forge to Table wants all the listeners to know... Have a nice day. everyone to the culinary now podcast i'm matt i'm jamie and i'm mike and on today's episode we are diving into the national restaurant association's 2022 what's hot list uh so first thing i want to dive into here is you know and again like a little bit of a backstory so i like and i know you guys do this as well like the national restaurant association every year puts out a sort of what's hot list reflective of the trends that they feel the restaurant industry is is embracing and and we should look for in in restaurants throughout the country in the upcoming year. Uh, for those listening, if you want to check out the actual list, you can head on over to restaurant.org and search for What's Hot 2022 so you can follow along. I just want to start here with this is is how this list comes to be. And Jamie, I know this is something you find really interesting as, as well as all of us is when you're determining a what's hot list, you know, who weighs in on that? So just to give some context, the NRA, the National Restaurant Association, they partnered with the ACF, the American Culinary Federation, and they basically conducted a survey and they put the survey out survey out to 350 professional chefs and asked them to select what they thought was going to be trendy for this coming year. And then they put it into a list. So really, it's based off of a survey on what people thought was going to be hot in the in the new year. So that raises an immediate red flag for me because like, and I think that while I, I love the partnership with the ACF and I think that interviewing or taking opinions from professional chefs is a really, really solid way to, you know, gauge what is, is relevant in today's food world. I kind of feel like they might be leaving something on the table or off the table rather by only targeting professional chefs. Are, are there other people that could weigh in that might have a different opinion? There could be. I mean, I think chefs do a pretty good job of getting a pulse on what's happening. I I, I think maybe one of the reasons, and you, you know, you'd have to figure out uh, what their rationale um, behind their methodology is uh, for the survey, but it, it could be that it's easier to talk to chefs about some of these uh, trends simply because they have a baseline understanding already, you know, and, and, and they do have a pulse on what's, what's going on, you know, but there, there are obviously not the only population out there that you could potentially survey to look at trends. Also, they need to think about asking students because students have a big pulse on what's happening because they're on all of the social media platforms. And it doesn't say who 
was included in the chef category. And maybe that does include students or younger chefs to be. We're not sure, but I think they probably could broaden that and get a much wider range of what's actually going to be trending. So it'll be interesting to see. And I know we're going to talk about the list, but it will be interesting to see towards the end of the year how many of these things actually came to fruition over 2022. And that's a good point, because I think that, you know, looking at not only the list at the beginning of the year, but then obviously reflecting on it at the end is a really important way to determine whether the list was valid. Because I know that a lot of the lists in years prior you know, have had things that, you know, have carried on to the following year. Like they've, it's been relevant not only in the year that it was making the list, but it also was relevant in years, you know, following that, which I actually think is a good thing because if something's on the list for multiple years, that might actually indicate that it is a trend. I look at this year's list as a little bit different than years past because in years past, I feel like the list has been very straightforward. It's talked about emerging trends. It's talked about plant-based proteins. It's talked about fast casual, which has been really important to me and my curriculum that I teach at the school. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I use this list a lot to just sort of, you know, reaffirm what we were teaching is what we should be teaching. But this list looks a little bit different this year. And I think that it's, it's reflective of where we have been in the last now two years, that the Restaurant Association is actually saying, okay, it's not just a trend to, you know, prioritize more eco-friendly plant-based, you know, proteins or eco-friendly to-go silverware. It's now on the list. And I think that that is a big step, you know, from from years past. Yeah, I mean, I agree, Matt. Uh, When you look at this, um, you really get a feel for, there are some things that have carried over, but you definitely have a feel for what we've just gone through uh, with uh, with COVID. And really, it speaks to, uh, in, in my opinion, just looking at it, a desire to build a little bit more resiliency, I think, within our within our food system uh, as a whole. Um, sustainability, obviously, coming through, and you did see a little bit of that uh, in uh, in past uh, past trends lists uh, that were coming out from the uh, from the NRA. COVID actually, I think, sped a lot of those things up uh, in many different ways, and and health health has always been at the forefront. I mean, let's let's just look at the the list right now. The first three items start with the word packaging. And I think that that is a very, very big departure from years past. Number one, packaging, sustainable, reusable, recyclable. And Mike, you're right. Sustainability, even though that word is incredibly almost overused and it's broad and it can mean so many different things, sustainability has been on this list for years now because a sustainable approach in cooking and eating and what have you has always been important for diners and for chefs. But it got a little bit more specific this year and it talks about reusable, recyclable packaging. And, you know, and it uses again that word sustainable. Number two, packaging, food quality, travels intact. Number three, retains temperature. I think two and three are direct impacts from COVID because the one thing we learned in the pandemic and we're still learning today is that only a select group of foods, actually I would say very few foods, are able to be cooked in a restaurant, packaged to go, transported to your home, and then eaten anywhere near the same quality that you would get at a restaurant. In fact, most food sucks by the time you get it home. And I think that this top three really speak to the fact that there has been an investment in prioritizing getting food from the kitchen of a restaurant to your dining room at home. We were, I think you started to see restaurants going a little bit more, you know, the whole, uh, ghost kitchen kind of movement and delivery was definitely 
climbing. You know, it was becoming more and more popular uh, and streamlined uh, in the U.S., uh, but COVID really put a push uh, on those initiatives. Uh, and it was a way of building, uh, I think, a little bit more resiliency uh, within in the, within restaurants is figuring out, you know, how do I transition over to more of these, you know, packaging uh, type uh, type items and how do I do it really well? Uh, even even switching, I mean, you see a lot of restaurants in, in the mix, you know, they're using their dining room spaces to store containers because they really didn't have a space to do that. Uh, so it was kind of a little bit of an off uh, afterthought, I, I think, for, for many. And COVID really pushed that to the uh, to the forefront. And we're seeing that now on this uh, on this trends list uh, as a result of that. I think another another trend that is coming through due to the last what are we, two years now of COVID is the idea of comfort food and those comforting flavors that are really what we what we want in times of uncertainty. And I think having that on the list this year is really interesting. And that's definitely a trend that has carried over from years past. And there are other recurring trends on here. And, and I think that view of the eighth top uh, item is plant-based sandwiches. And plant-based has been, again, one of those things that falls into perhaps that sustainability bucket and has been on the list in years prior as like plant-based proteins, which again, Mike, you're right. There has already been a movement in some of these areas, whether it's eco-friendly packaging or plant-based proteins as substitutes for people looking to lower their cholesterol perhaps. But there's definitely more of a specific focus this year. Like they talk about plant-based sandwiches as one of the top items, but there's another item. Number seven is immunity boosting functional ingredients. And this is sort of interesting because Jamie, you mentioned that they do talk about how comfort food is something that is not going anywhere. People crave comfort food as a way to you know, make them feel safe. But when I think about comfort food, I don't think about immunity boosting functional ingredients. I think about the exact opposite. So it's interesting that they have almost both seeming as priorities this year, because I think what we saw over the last, you know, again, two plus years now, I can't even believe I'm saying that, is that people want the really grind time stuff, but they also want the good for you stuff as well. And it's really interesting that this immunity boosting functional ingredient thing is, is sort of right in the middle of the list. And it's it's specific, more more so than in years past. On that, on that note, one thing that's really interesting on this list, on this idea of immunity boosting foods, and some people think green juice. Green juice is a really great way to get in lots of fruits and vegetables. One of the things that pops up on here is spiked green juice. So if they're talking spiked like alcoholic green juice, are we losing the health benefit and the immunity boosting of why we're buying the green juice? Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, that's one of those, you know, oh, well, I'm drinking, you know, I'm trying to think of like, a, you know, athletic greens or, or whatever, like something that's really, really good for you. You know, it helps you maybe, you know, not eat as heavy early in the morning, you get that nice boost of energy. But hopefully you're not adding vodka to a green juice at eight in the morning. And if you are, I think that maybe there's a bigger problem there, but like maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree, Matt. I think, you know, you, you look at the immune boosting, um, functional ingredient, plant-based, there's all, there's definitely a correlation there, uh, and where that's coming from. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and people try to push it. Right. And I, and I think with, you know, if you look at foods and how they integrate uh, how they integrate into cocktails if i'm making a cocktail and everybody's kind of going into the green drink plant-based type arena with food then of course i'm going to piggyback on that and try to uh, put out uh, a fancy cocktail that also incorporates uh, some of those concepts not necessarily making a health claim but it's uh it's showing off that you know what hey these green smoothies can also be a little bit fun too you know so uh, i think it's creative i think it's kind of a fun approach um i don't uh, recommend having it uh, as a substitute for breakfast but 
it definitely shows some creativity and, and how how these all interrelate to one another uh, as you go through that trends list. On alcohol, I, I want to just pivot a little bit. I want to come back to the the what's hot list in, in, down the road, but I, they do include the restaurant National Restaurant Association does include a cooling list for trends in 2022. And when we talk about beverages, alcohol or not, there's a lot of items on this cooling list. Again, Jamie, you mentioned spiked green juices is cooling. It seems like uh, maybe people are losing the alcohol, but keeping the green goodness. Canned wine is cooling. I don't really, this is a good example of something that was a very flash trend. I can't remember how canned wine you know, it wasn't really in our lives for that long. It kind of just came and now it's apparently it's cooling. Coffee, carbonated coffee. Like, why do you need carbonated coffee? Like, that's just crazy. Uh, so there's other items on here. Milk-based cocktails are cooling this year. Uh, it's almost, there's so many drinks on this cooling list. You know, one thing on the milk-based cocktails that I wanted to touch on is something on this list that is populating in a couple of sections is the idea of dairy alternative and nut milks. And I think it's really interesting that one of the top trends in the cooling section is milk-based cocktails. And if they're referring specifically to dairy-based milk, that would be really contradictory with the rest of the list really focusing on plant-based and alternatives and especially nut milks. I'd like some more information on that, but that's something that stood out to me. Another thing on the cooling list that I thought was interesting was number four, bone broth meat stock cocktails. Number one, I've never made a cocktail that has had beef stock in it. Although I don't even know where you would where where you would start with that, but I look at bone broth, and this is something that maybe four or five months ago I I, I got beef bones on sale, and I made a bunch of bone broth, and I tried drinking it for breakfast, and it was horrible. I mean, I, I like consomme, I like good stock, but to have that as a meal substitute never really connected with me. So it doesn't surprise me that this is going away. I don't know about it being on like a, as a cocktail, but I do know that it does go hand in hand with immunity boosting foods. If we are talking about that as still being a trend, because obviously your immunity starts in your gut and to have a healthy gut bone broth is something that's really, really great for that. So I don't know about it being a cocktail, but for immunity boosting, I could see how that would play in. Yeah, I think with the bone broth, I don't know. I don't always think about it as immunity. I think more of a, if you're sick already, right, you want to take out anything that's potentially going to cause you uh, some problems. And maybe you start reintroducing food and very simple foods like a bone broth. And, you know, usually, you know, you, you would salt that bone broth up a little bit. So you'd be getting some electrolytes uh, into there as well. And that would make you help to retain a little bit of uh, moisture and make you feel better and a way of reintroducing food after you were sick. And that's kind of where I kind of think, but I've never made a cocktail uh, out of that. It just doesn't seem appealing to me. You're talking about like the chicken soup reference, right? And it's like, if you're going to have, you know, something brothy because you're sick, that makes sense to me. But then, if, but if you're just going to have bone broth as, you know, a meal, you know, yeah, okay, you can get lots of protein, you can get calories from that. But it does kind of fall into this category of some of those fad diets, you know, people that are, you know, eating, you know, charcoal or they're, they're drinking bone broth as sort of a regular dietary plan. It almost seems like it's a little bit disconnected from reality. And maybe it's just because I live in a world where I live in the suburbs and I have three kids and I just serve, you know, what, I mean, I think it's traditional, but you know, I guess my question is maybe this is cooling for a reason. Maybe there's just not enough people that got on the bone broth train. And, and that's why it's going away. All right. So another thing on the list that I thought was interesting that it's going away is breakfast salads. Guys, have you ever 
experienced breakfast salads or did you ever get into a breakfast salad? Jamie, I know a while back we interviewed one of our one of the podcast friends, Stephanie Seymour, and she talked about a breakfast salad that was really popular in her house. And I thought that, that was a great uh, recipe. And it's something that we do at our house from time to time as well. It has avocados and hard-boiled eggs and sweet potatoes. It was really delicious. But again, as a regular contribution to to your, your daily diet, I mean, is something is breakfast salads deserving of going away or is it something that we should hold on to? To each their own and what they want to eat for breakfast. Some people really dislike breakfast foods, so they might have a breakfast salad just to get something into their bodies. I I like a more sweet breakfast myself. I like yogurt and things that are on the sweeter side, but I don't I don't know that it needs to be going away. I think that that's just personal preference and if a breakfast salad works for you, then I think that that is great. Yeah, I think it's a it's a bit tricky. I think the breakfast salad it all depends on I think what your definition of a of a salad might be or what the perception of a salad can be because if you looked at the trends, you know, your egg-based breakfast bowls uh, are are now trending, right? And I think bowls in general, you know, kind of came from this evolutionary process of, you know, soup, salads, anything that you would traditionally serve uh, in a bowl. And I think, you know, for for breakfast or just as a meal in general, bowls are are going to be, I think, pretty popular. Uh, and there's a number of different things you can do, uh, obviously, for for breakfast to incorporate that into a, into a bowl, uh, and even include some greens. You know, so I, I think it's about kind of changing your perception of of a salad. One of my favorite bowl breakfast type meals is it's again it's not something i mean a bowl is such a a great vessel because you know it can fit so many things in there it's easy to combine flavors and to really really boost the experience of of, of eating but one of the favorite bowls that i have is i actually will take or i'll make congee and i'll really cook the rice over and abundantly and i'll make it almost into like an oatmeal like consistency and then you add a little bit of diced apples and cashews and some nutella to that and it is on believable to have in the morning, especially as we get into the colder months. I think it's really, really functional. On the sweeter side of things, uh, you know, number 10 on the the trends. So we're going back to things that are, you know, projected to be popular in 2022. Number 10 is alternative sweeteners. Now, I know that they listed two specific sweeteners, maple sugar and coconut sugar. But when I think of alternative sweeteners, those are not the two that I think of right away. I think of stevia, sweet and low. I think of things that you can use in your coffee. What do you guys think about this addition to the trends list? Well, I think this is really interesting. And I think you're definitely right by saying alternative sweeteners. The first thing I think of is monk fruit, allulose, stevia, all of those sugars, but they're being very specific on the list and saying coconut sugar and maple sugar. And those are two that I don't think are really new. I think we've seen them around for a while. I've been using maple sugar in my desserts for years, like years and years. So I don't think that it's necessarily something that's new, but I think it's really interesting that they're calling it out as a trend going forward. Maybe we'll see a spike in them being used in desserts, but they've already been being used. Maybe it will just be called out more going forward. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting kind of along the same lines is I, I think you saw like, you know, coconut water and even even maple water, you know, coming out there um, uh, as uh, as beverages and some health claims coming out in association with uh, those particular products. So although not new, uh, I think that... Uh, it makes sense why they would be showing up on this as a potential trend um, because they are getting some 
some press in other in other areas uh, as well. So it'd be interesting to see how they uh, how they stick in there in comparison to some of the other alternative sweeteners. You know, on that note, the other thing too that I was just thinking of is there are a lot of other cuisines that use these alternative sweeteners in many, many of their of their dishes. And one thing that pops up on the list is this idea of this globally influenced flavor. It, it's definitely in many sections on this list. And maybe that is what was influencing this being the number one trend in desserts is seeing how how the rest of the list is stacking up. And there's so many places in there that these global, globally influenced flavors are popping up on there. Maybe that's a connection. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the global food trend or the inclusion of more global flavors rather has been something that has been emerging or it's been getting get, gaining speed over the last maybe almost decade now. And I think it's become where people are not even requesting or, or looking for global flavors in the restaurants that they go to. They're cooking with global flavors at home. And I know that during the pandemic, a lot of people went to their kitchen and, and took up a sort of a, a new item or a new skill in the kitchen, whether that be bread baking or maybe cooking from scratch more. And part of that process was really including a new repertoire of herbs and spices. And I know a lot of people that were close to me that maybe weren't necessarily frequent home cooks in the past really spent a lot of time building up their pantry. And and that included a lot of, you know, unique global spices that maybe they weren't used to. I know a lot of people that really were in love with Indian food. And when they were unable to go to their favorite Indian restaurant, which Providence has, you know, a great selection of, they really doubled down and focused on how they could better utilize garam marsala or fenugreek or any of those other sort of universally um, popular Indian spices in their home cooking, which I think was a really important step to helping them improve. And I think it makes perfect sense that it's on this list because it's not going anywhere. It's something that people are becoming more familiar with and, and, and they're demanding more of themselves and their chefs. Kind of in the same line with that is I'm wondering how, you know, COVID and travel restrictions kind of play into that as well. Uh, you know, people aren't able to, uh, you know, travel as, uh, as as they did in the past. And maybe they'd be craving some of these, you know, different types of uh, seasonings uh, and uh, global flavors and authentic style experiences uh, right from home. I'm not so surprised by that. I'm just wondering how the impact of COVID and travel has really kind of played into some of this list as well with the um, with global trends. Global cuisine has always kind of been one of those hallmarks that's been on this trend list, uh, and that changes from uh, from time to time. Uh, what areas are going to be have a little bit more attention put on them? But they consistently make it to the uh, to the trends list, definitely. They highlight, you know, specifically less expensive, you know, animal based proteins, but then they immediately follow that with plant based burgers. And I think that we said earlier in the list that there's, you know, sort of a a more narrowed or more granular focus on plant-based ingredients and plant-based sandwiches and so on. But then they do talk about how this trend of, you know, protein, burgers, breakfast meats, it's still there and it's not going anywhere. There's some synergy there between plant-based foods and global fare and flavor. uh, And even what you see, uh, you know, put into some of the plant-based burgers that are spiced up uh, using some different ethnic flavor profiles uh, as well. So there's some creativity going in there that falls aligned with some of the uh, other trends that are on this this list. And the last trend I think I want to touch on that I've seen in a couple areas is this idea of CBD infused in snacks and desserts and in other in other areas of culinary how do you guys feel about this rise in cbd 
in food. I mean, I, I acknowledge it. I think that it's it's not going anywhere. I mean, you drive down any major highway, you know, we live in Massachusetts or yeah, we all live in Massachusetts. And, you know, I drive from my house to Providence and I see billboards for CBD farms and, and so on. I mean, I, I don't consume CBD. I don't smoke. I don't, I don't do anything that's, you know, would lead me to including that in my diet. But so I feel obviously a little bit disconnected from, from this topic, but I do think that it's important to acknowledge because I think that it's not going away. I think that a lot of people do include this as part of their lifestyle. I think it's uh, definitely going to be something that's uh, here to stay. I think from a savory standpoint, it's always been a little bit trickier, I think, working with it. You see a lot more focus on application in, in sweets and desserts and, and even beverages, which is coming out on that trends list uh, as well. So I, I think, you know, I would not be surprised if, you know, after, you know, you look at dessert incorporation, snack incorporation, uh, you look at, uh, you know, the potential for one of these trends to continue on into more of the savory world. It just seems to be the direction that it's going. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be here to stay. And it's uh, offers some interesting opportunity for creativity. And I think it warrants further study as well. I, I know there's a huge challenge from the people that I have talked to that are that are really involved with this in the consistency of CBD products. Because it's not like you can just go into a kitchen and you can start, you know, cooking with a bunch of CBD or, or, or what have you and just continuously try and try and try till you get the flavor right. So, you know, have to really nail down that recipe development process. And from the people that I've talked to, there's really not a formal way of, you know, developing recipes to include CBD. So I think that one of the trends that I would look out for is more consistency within the production process because, Again, using the people that I've talked to that are connected to this, it's it's kind of like the Wild West in the sense that people are out there just kind of, you know, making brownies or making gummies in their own home, which I think is great. And I think it, you're right, Mike, it's, it's here to stay. But I would look for sort of an increased level of consistency. And that also aligns with the, the growth of the industry as well. So as the industry grows and as it becomes more sort of ubiquitous across, you know, the country, I know that some states aren't, you know, truly on the CBD tree and Rhode Island being one of them, which I think, you know, once that happens, it's going to become easier for this to become a more streamlined, more, you know, consistent process. It'll be really interesting too, to maybe revisit this in 10 or 11 months towards the end of 2022 and see how this list really stacked up to what happened in the industry over the year and where these, where these, how these items like shook out, you know, I'd be interested in touching base again on it. On that note, we, you know, we did a little bit on the 2022 What's Hot report from the National Restaurant Association. Again, I encourage everyone to head over to restaurant.org and check out the list for yourself. See where you see these items in your favorite restaurants this coming year. And then, uh, you know, hold them accountable and see if they, uh, if they last for all of 2022 or if they go away like so many things have, you know, in the past. So uh, it was really interesting diving into this. Thanks again to Mike and Jamie for joining. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode. We also want to thank our friend Matt Burns for providing all the music for the Culinary Now podcast. If you liked today's episode, leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Your positive feedback helps us reach more listeners. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to receive updates on new episodes from all our projects. If you'd like to reach out to the team at Culinary Now, please shoot us an email at culinarynowpodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Culinary Now Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, yeah.
And we are 